Here's the question I would like to think about. Think about if you are a stranger that you moves to a new place. Well, not for sightseeing initially, but you are looking for something else, which is called stability. Which means you're looking for jobs, you're looking for opportunity opportunities to prosper, and you're looking for a better way, hopes to change your life. And what if that doesn't happen? Your dreams will be shattered. Well, today, in the year of 2023, some people are actually doing that, and not just domestically in China, but outside China, and for example, in the country of India. There are a lot more people, especially among the younger generations. They moved to new places in terms of looking for better opportunities in career, and perhaps that they like to start a better way for their lives. But meanwhile, no one so far has ever heard the story regarding their struggles and also the uncertainties. And that's why in this episode, we want to talk about those people and we want to talk about one of the amazing films that I watch lately. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite our distinguished speaker, which is Andrew Francisco. Andrew is an artist from America whose work is widely shown at venues around the world. He has a storytelling compulsion. It's a lifelong student of language. Of course, if you're familiar with Andrew, lately he came out with a brand new film, which is called Native Place. And in this episode, we're going to talk to Andrew about his film and his inspiration for this production. Well, Andrew, and welcome to The Missing Piece. Welcome. Thank you very much. Well, Andrew, the pleasure is all mine. Again, as we mentioned before, even though I said it many times, I am very, very excited. Of course, I am so honored able to watch the film I just mentioned and also produced by you. It's called Native Place. You know, Andrew, I have to say that as I was watching this film, as I was watching this uh, a masterpiece, one line that specifically drew me um, in an amazing way that, again, you, you narrated it, it said, cities would not exist without migration. Help us to understand, Andrew, what is the meaning behind that sentence? Again, we're, we're looking at people, the story took place in India, and then you travel all the way to India to make this happen. So specifically, what inspiration did you have when you come up with the sentence? And what kind of a meaning were you trying to deliver when you say cities would not exist without migration? Go ahead, Andrew. Uh, well, that's a great question. That's a great question. It's true. You know, it's probably true. Cities would not exist without migration. Uh, actually, the inspiration for that was, uh, well, I would say, I would back up and say my inspiration for going to India was that I had uh, studied there and I previously lived for short periods in India. Well, over the years, over the last 20 years, I've, I've been going back and forth to India. Uh, so it's a place I was familiar with, particularly Northern India. <clears throat> I was interested in doing a project about migration. And uh, uh, actually, I did a little, as part of my research about migration, uh, which I, I conducted over a series, over a couple of years, uh, I, I came across this idea that cities wouldn't really exist at all, unless, mm. unless we had this phenomenon of migration, which maybe isn't even a phenomenon. It's a natural uh, progression. It's a natural development of mankind. People are always moving and shifting. 
and looking for better opportunities and more resources. And that's why we have big cities. I did recently read a book. It suggested that uh, I think they modified it a little bit. A recent book that I'll tell you about later. Mm. Uh, it said uh, most cities wouldn't exist if it weren't for migration. And I thought that's weird. I wonder what cities, I can't think of any cities that would just exist and, and be as large as they are, mm. as be as be as dynamic and be as multicultural as they are. If they didn't have an influx of people uh, always coming and then also always going as well. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I think it's true that uh, migration is something that's been uh, common to mankind for forever, possibly, mm. quite possibly forever. You know, Andrew, again, let's go back to the film. I know that within this film that you actually interviewed a lot of people. And also, I mean, not only you talked to them, but also you covered their personal lives. I know there are many, many interviewees that who appear in the film that really share with you. But one thing I have to say, some of them, when they moved to Delhi, and which is was considered as as the most promising cities in India, and they were hoping their lives could be changed in a greater way, or they were willing to sacrifice everything back home. And in order to come to the place and looking for a brand new star. But why do you think they're willing to take the risk? Because I know within the film, some people mentioned before coming here, they were not too positive or have this 100% confidence or certainty about the prosperity in Delhi. But they came anyway. So help us to understand when you are talking to those people, when you're listening to them about this dream or about this desire coming to a, a Delhi and hoping to uh, have a brand new star or fresh star. How did you feel at that moment? And why do you think it's important for them come to Delhi, even though there were still a lot more uncertainties in their life? Well, uh, in India, migration, and the film is particularly about internal migration, which mm. you uh, mentioned it, it, within India, particularly within northern India. People often, the, the people who come from other parts of northern India to Delhi. Migration in Delhi has a couple of characteristics. Uh, migration in uh, all over North India, uh, you could say maybe all over India as a whole, has a couple of particular characteristics. Mm. And one is that there's a exists a type of circular migration. Mm. That people come in and they may stay for a few months and work and then return to their hometowns. Also, there's a type of what we call, could call maybe serial migration, that people come to Delhi or go to another place, stay there for a few months while they have um, access to opportunities and resources they want mm. elsewhere, and then move on, move on to another city. So those two things exist. Uh, throughout the course of this project, um, what I found was that many of the stories, many of the respondents that I spoke with, and we did make a good effort to get as wide a variety of response mm. as possible. But that the one of the overriding narratives of the people I spoke with uh, was one of compulsion. Uh, now that's it, it's hard for me to say because uh, there's a tent, there's a trend in our discussion of migration lately to look beyond this narrative of displacement. Mm. So sometimes I worry that the film and also the associated collection of war histories of history that we created also. Uh, which can be seen at delimigration.com. I do worry that they reinforce this narrative of displacement. But as an artist, uh, I'm not a social scientist. Um, as an artist, 
And as someone who went there to hear the stories of people who had migrated, that's really what was most important to me, these personal stories. Um, and I really tried to ask the questions and just allow the individuals to speak. And this was the, a theme of stories that I heard over and over and over. People migrated not because they thought it would be a bad city, but because they, in their hometowns, they had, they had nothing. They had no income. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not true for everyone, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, for a large part of the respondents that I met in Delhi, for better or for worse, it, it, it was, in fact, true. And also, Andrew, I noticed that even though you mentioned, again, you're right, some people before they decided to move to a new place, I guess their their original identities were farmers. You know, and, and also I, I got that when I was watching the film because some of them, they have families and they have children and they have wives. But the thing is somehow there's a complication. Maybe you can help us to understand regarding this farming industry in India, but somehow, again, people were willing to relinquish their farming industry or their farming business and then move to a brand new city and start something or maybe start a career that they have never done before or they have no experience whatsoever or perhaps they have some friends or relatives. You know, I remember there's a guy uh, uh, who moved to this place, uh, moved to Delhi and started as... um, Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, maybe as a financial consultant or maybe as uh, uh, some type of business uh, uh, consultation uh, uh, employee. But anyway, but back in home, he was a farmer and this is a completely the opposite of what he did before. So help us to understand, Andrew, what happened to this farming industry in India and why do you think those people were willing to abandon the farming business and then move to New Delhi and hoping to start something different, even though they have no experience whatsoever? Well, I would say that a number of the respondents in the oral history collections, in the, in the collection of oral histories, um, as well as, a, as, as to the respondents in the film, as to the participants in the film, to the main participants in the film, they did, in fact, engage in farm work in mm-hmm. their hometowns. And their move to the city was, in, in fact, a type of disruption. Like, you know, they adopted uh, roles and professions that they normally had maybe minimal exposure to. That's true. Mm. Um, I think this is one of the gaps of the film, is uh, although I returned to the, with, with, with some of the participants, with all three main participants, mm. I returned to their hometowns. And I looked in the conditions in their hometowns and, and uh, met with uh, their families, extended families, and friends, um, to get a better understanding of their background. Uh, the question of why farming isn't such a viable profession mm. in India, or at least northern India right now, I don't really have all the answers. But I can tell you the main answer is that it's no longer as profitable as it mm. used to be. It's no longer as profitable as it may have been at one time. Uh, and so for that reason, the rural parts of India, <clears throat> where a large number of people relied on farming to support themselves and their family, have experienced a great deal of a great number of challenges. Mm. <clears throat> and there was there have been trends. In fact, there's a farmers uh, movement soon after we complete the film. I think maybe uh, if you're interested, you might like to look into that uh, mm. movement of farmers who were arguing for uh, more government support came to Delhi mm. and uh, um, constructed blockades all around the capital, which is mm. this is a 
it went on for months, I, I believe. Uh, but I'd encourage you to look more into the thing if you're interested. Mm-hmm. There was also, sadly, there have been over the last, boy, I would say at least at least the last 20 years, there have been uh, many, many reports of farmer suicides, mm-hmm. too. And this is a story that you hear, uh, unfortunately, quite often in mm-hmm. northern India, particularly rural parts of northern India. Mm-hmm. You know, Andrew, again, interestingly speaking, you know, as a international journalist myself, I know that even though India was one of the countries that um, I haven't uh, received the opportunity to go, but I'm sure that in, in the future, I hope, I mean, I would love to go to India uh, for a brief visitation. But meanwhile, throughout my career, when I talk to people in terms of discovering stories or, you know, try to connect with them, Andrew, be honest, I can't tell you how many times when I listen to the stories, the stories really got me. So in other words, I literally had to stop because I refused to cry in front of the interviewees. So in other words, I really have to hold back my feelings because the story was too touching or the story was got me too emotional. Andrew, again, as you are uh, producing this film, was there any moments that when you listen to them or when you when you are trying to discover the details and try to have this human moment, did you ever encounter that moment? You say, wow, you know, that really got me and I have to stop for a second or I, I couldn't believe what he just told me. Can you share with us something that during the production that was so unforgettable, but meanwhile, was so memorable for you? Well, there are quite a few moments like that. I would say, um, I would encourage, I'd recommend, and so your listeners may be interested in migration, look at some of the recent literature about migration, Mm. which is really compelling. And there is this push away from a narrative of displacement. Also, there's a sort of overriding narrative, which I was working to go beyond when I was doing this project in India, which is a narrative of, of tragedy. And many of the people I interviewed had really tragic stories. Mm-hmm. I really t- t- had terrible, tragic stories. There's a young man who, uh, he, 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 he was disabled. Mm-hmm. His leg had been uh, severed through an accident that, uh, he, as he told me, uh, and I took his story at face value. I don't know. I don't have the background to sure. judge whether it's true or not. Mm. But he explained that he was working, um, serving food during wedding ceremonies. Mm. And he um, was carrying these pots and pans, these very heavy pots and pans, uh, to return to his hometown after one of these wedding events. Mm. And as the train was taking off, he was trying to get on, weighed down by these pots and pans and fell under the train, mm. and the, the train severed his leg. Mm. Uh, That's quite sad. The other thing that I thought was really just terrible was uh, looking back at some of the interviewees, some of them uh, passed away. Mm-hmm. Some of them passed away from the coronavirus. Um, and this is so you'll find many very, very compelling, um, tragic, but also also inspiring stories um, at our collection of oral histories mm-hmm. at DelhiMigration.com. So mm-hmm. I encourage you to look at them closely. I encourage you uh, to really engage with them. And, and, and there's, I don't know, there's 45 different stories of, of interviewees and some are longer some are shorter but i really encourage you and, and your listeners and audiences at large 
to really look at the website and really engage with some of the stories because I think that's what will make this uh, this story of the the, the phenomenon of migration um, this 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 trend is becoming more and more common and it's really come, going to come to define this new era of mankind it makes a human mm. it makes a human by really showing us the very personal experiences of individuals mm. well andrew again let's let's go back to the film you know when i was watching the film again as we mentioned before when we talk about each country particularly in asia and my focus tend to be on the younger generations. And if I'm not mistaken, specifically, I know there were a couple shots where you have four to five young men set together and they were discussing and uh, different regions or different areas that they, they came from. And then eventually they all landed in Delhi. And then right now they form this brotherhood or they form this uh, a strong a friendship or a positive relationship with one another now when you were listening to again going back to the film when you were listening to their stories did you get the sense of that these people they have they were so confident or they they knew that if they just kept on pressing forward or if they were willing to start uh, um, perhaps from nothing and they're hoping to achieve something in the end did you get that feelings and so i guess my question is what was the motivation for them to continue to press forward even though they might not realize hey um it's too difficult or it's too hard it's not it's not a, it's not about their age it's not about their personal skills or capabilities but I just feel there's got to be something else or something deeper in them or maybe among them that really uh, asked them to stay in Delhi before giving up too soon. What do you think, Andrew? Uh, you know, I think that, um, yeah, it's true that in, in, throughout the film, um, I do interview a number of people who um, are um, the, the receiving interviews in a, in a group of people. That's often where you encounter men in Delhi, which is, uh, you know, the public space is often male-dominated. Mm. Uh, in one situation, I did return home with a young uh, friend and participant to his home in West Bengal. And he was with his, uh, he called them his brothers, but, you know, they're extended like his cousins. And um, they just happened to all, I'll be back. Some of them had migrated other places. Some of them had plans to go to other places. And there they all were, the four of them. And um, they had a real clo close family connection that I often find in uh, places in, in Asia where people feel like their livelihoods don't just determine the well-being of their of themselves and the course of their own lives, but um, also contribute to a very large part to the well-being of their families as a whole. Mm. And so I found that was a very um, strong driving force amongst a lot of the individuals that I interviewed. Um, we had a, an interview also in the collection of oral histories, a young man who was working um, as like a, a hired, we call it in America, a, a day laborer. Mm. And this gentleman was finding work, um, doing manual labor in the center of Delhi. And he spoke with us for a, a while to do an interview. And he had a story of um, having gone into debt to pay for his sister's wedding which in India and some families and some communities can be an incredibly 
expensive affair and uh it was so important for his his sister to get married and have this celebration um that he not only contributed but he took out a large amount of loans to do so Mm -hmm. and he found himself then deeply in debt deeply Mm -hmm. in debt and so he uh, had no choice he had no way to pay a bath moving in his hometown so he came to doubt that was his that was his reason for coming to doubt so I find I find a lot of stories like this. People are uh, not just agents of their own futures and seek a better life for themselves, but they're seeking a better life for their families and their loved ones mm. and their extended families as well. Mm. Andrew, I know you're a very also, busy. I, I should also I, I should point out just before so before we move on, a lot of the economies in these smaller places in these small rural communities, a lot of the economies are largely driven by remittances or the money sent back to these communities from individuals who have migrated elsewhere mm. and send them back regularly. I think a large a, a, a large portion of the money earned by the many people I interviewed uh, in Delhi is actually sent back to the communities, uh, to their families. Well, Andrew, again, you kind of touch on my next question. Now stay with me. I got two more questions before letting you go. Because I was going to ask you that I realized that, um, as you mentioned before, some people, when they get paid, you know, uh, through their works, and they will transfer their income or, I guess, portion of their salary back home to support their family, which really resonates with the word family value. So help us to understand. Now, I know you made the film during the COVID. I know, so of course, you travel internationally back and forth. But again, going back to the Indian culture and going back to the people that you embraced and you encountered and you met, you talked to, how would you describe the word family value among the people that you talked to? So in other words, how important was it for them not only to uh, um, seek ways to make a living, but also to to preserve and to protect the value for themselves. What do you think? Uh, well, I, there's one point I'd like to make. Uh, <laughs> I went to India, and I feel like every time I go to India, I feel like it's a real privilege. Because mm-hmm. I'm really, I'm often welcomed. And, and just the fact that I was able to complete this uh, collection of oral histories and the film, uh, with willing participants and, and actually just meet people very casually sometimes. Just sometimes, uh, even just walking down the street, there's people that see me in the neighborhood talking to find someone with a really compelling story. Mm. So I don't I don't feel like I need to embrace India. I didn't embrace India. Uh, I was embraced. I was really welcomed. And I feel like that's a really deep privilege mm. that, that, uh, that I am always grateful for. Mm. To India. I had the many places other than India also. Uh, what kind of family value? Um, well, I will tell you this. I will tell you this. Uh, we talked just a moment ago about, uh, I mean, there's a difference. And in America, you know, I'm, I'm from America. And for a large number of families, it feels like uh, the money you earn, that's yours. Mm. Like there's a real clear distinction between uh, your, your, your material wealth and the material wealth of your mm. parents and, and your siblings. Uh, in some places, um, including India, I find that that line is a little less distinct. Mm. That um, it's the role, it's the particular role of a generation or the male individuals in particular to go out and provide for the family. Uh, so 
Well, I guess that's a type of family value. Um, I would also say that the story of migration in India, um, at least the people I interviewed in Delhi, the kind of, uh, particularly the circular migration, the people who come to Delhi and earn for a few months and then move back to their maybe uh, rural communities and agrarian lifestyles elsewhere for a few months out of the year, maybe to continue farming. Mm. Um, that's an important story. And they come largely as individuals mm. or maybe um, uh, maybe they have a, a relative or a, a cousin or a, a, a friend or some of their community who's also migrated there. And so they have mm. a connection. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, they don't necessarily bring their families right away. However, the the the, the, the culture, the society of India is largely comprised of many different communities, not just different religions, not just different languages, not just different language groups, uh, but particular communities. Mm -hmm. And these are organized maybe around caste identity to mm -hmm. a large extent. Mm -hmm. So one of the one of the places that we visited with a participant, um, it was a village where everyone happened to share the same last name. They were all part of a community, mm. uh, part of a community. And so when you think about family values, uh, also maybe our notion of family is a little bit different in a place like India. Why? Because they're thinking about not just the family as a nuclear family or even extended family, but the caste community at large. Mm. That, that's another um, distinct difference mm. um mm. but nonetheless i think uh there are some shared values that um i can think of one is to uh it, it, the, 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 there's there's an idea of a uh commitment to the to the well-being of the whole mm. i think um that isn't as uh obvious uh in my own family mm. <laughs> my own family or the my own background that's right. Well, Andrew, I want to wrap up our conversation by going back to the title of the film. The name of the film is called Native Place. And I always asked each guest appeared on my show, Andrew, as someone that who has never been to India before, and also the people that who are not familiar with this migration uh, 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 issue ongoing in India, and also that people have no knowledge whatsoever as a producer and also as the person who really dive into the story what do you hope that people can understand at the end of the film so in other words how much do you think would you expect people to uh, to understand regarding this uh, uh, issue when they finish watching native place i think for, for ages there was a driving narrative in our discussion of migration, which is one of displacement. Like mm. people, people would choose to be where and they're pulled out. There's also a related concept called this idea of uprootedness. Mm. That people belong in a place and they have connections and then through some situation they can't control, war, economy, uh, now migration, not, mm. excuse me, now climate. Now the climate migration is gonna be one of the defining issues of our new era. Um, for one reason or another, they have to move somewhere. They don't want to. It's it's a type of displacement. There is a move, which I totally endorse and I totally uh, understand and I'm aware of, to move beyond this narrative, mm. to embrace the opportunities of migration, to think of it not as just a compulsion, but as a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to express an agency mm. in your own well-being and the well-being of your community. 
I think I, I think when I select a data place, it's actually come from an interview and from a commonly used English phrase in Hindi um, to refer to your, your hometown that people always go back in their narratives, mm. all these stories. Every single interviewer, um, maybe it was because of the way I asked the questions, maybe it was because of their assumptions about what I might think or feel about the issue. They always come back to this idea of their native place. Mm. And so I chose this as a title. It is a type of re reassertment of that narrative of displacement. I don't think it's in every place, migration in every area and every era amongst every individual is always a type of displacement first and foremost, but for some people, it definitely is in part. And I think the title native place reflects that and reflects the connection that people still feel really strongly to uh, the place that they came from. Well, with that note, and I strongly encourage everyone go online and also find the ways to connect with Andrew and also really to dive into this amazing film, which is called Native Place. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to speak to Andrew Francisco. Andrew is an artist from America whose work is widely shown at venues around the world. He has a storytelling compulsion. And as you can tell throughout the conversations, we could feel Andrew's passion and drive not only produce this film, but also to really tell us what's happening around the world regarding some of the unheard stories. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for taking your time to be on the show. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. And we know that you're traveling, you're producing the film, and we hope that one day you're able to come to Beijing. We'd love to see you and meet you in person and also show the film to the larger audience in Beijing. Thank you, brother, for doing this. <laughs>